Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are making our way through the book of Exodus. And God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And God had raised up a rather reluctant, um, older gentleman uh, that was inadequate for the task by the name of Moses, who was to lead God's people out. And last week we saw how God made good on his promise after 400 years to lead his people out of bondage uh, under Pharaoh's rule in Egypt. And God called them to commemorate this monumentous event uh, with a feast together. And so this morning, we're now going to look at this journey as they begin to embark on their journey to the promised land that God had promised that they would have. And God would be with them as they went toward this land flowing with milk and honey. So as we do so, let me pray for us uh, before we jump in here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are often a people who are stubborn and who often turn away from where you've called us to walk. And so now as we come before your word, a word that is living and active, Lord, I pray that you would unstop our ears that we might hear of the glorious truth of Christ this morning. Open our eyes to see the beauty that we might behold our Savior in greater intimacy and love. And then would you put a pathway to our steps that we might lead out and live out of these truths that we say that we believe and hold dearly to. And may we do so by the power of your Holy Spirit that indwells our hearts. And so Holy Spirit, come now. Illumine your word, we pray, so that it would be not for all, but we could be changed this morning as we come in your presence. For we pray this in Christ's matchless name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I'm coming back from vacation, I want to get back as quickly as I can. I don't want to make any unnecessary stops. I don't want to go shopping along the way. I want to get back home because I want to unpack and I want to kind of get settled back into the normal routine. Well, this past summer, we were traveling back from Georgia. We were vacationing and we were making our way back and we were on I-75 and for some reason, which we didn't know at the time, uh, there was a stretch of I-75 that was closed. And so I thought, okay, no big deal. Pull out the phone. We look up an alternate route and we begin to make uh, that adjustment. 25, 30 minutes was the difference in time. I can handle that. I'm okay. So needless to say, we get off into the new route and realize that obviously I-75 had been closed for quite some time because it was a parking lot on the only route that we knew we could take. And so after much complaining and much grumbling on my part, not necessarily on my children's part, eight hours later, we made it back home. I despised detours before this, but after this experience, I despised them even more. Because detours basically are forcing me to go somewhere that I had not planned to go. Nor was I desiring to go. But as Christians, we must come to expect spiritual detours in our lives. And not only must we come to expect these detours, but instead of seeing them as inconveniences and frustrations in our lives, God's Word says that we should see them as God's loving kindness in the lives of his children. And we'll see this evidenced very clearly at the beginning of Israel's pilgrimage here as we look at this passage this morning. And in our passage, we're going to see three things about the character of God and how we as Christians are to respond in light of God's character. 
to first, we'll investigate the providential path that God leads his children down. And then secondly, we'll investigate the sure promises of God for his people. And then lastly, we will learn of the persistent presence of God in the lives of his people. Okay, so get the picture. It's finally time for God's people to leave Egypt. And they do so not on the cover of night in secrecy, but they do so in open day as they marched out in front of the Egyptians as they watched them leave. And we see God's promise made to Abraham years and years earlier coming true. For God's people were a big nation. 600,000 men, we're told, were marching out, not to mention women and children, numbering well over a million people, marching to the promised land that God had promised them. And the first detail that Moses gives us here in verse 17 is he says, God did not lead his people by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest your people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Now this move by God seems rather counterintuitive because had God led his people down the shortest, quickest pathway to the promised land, they would have gone through along the Nile River and up through the northern Sinai uh, and they would have led themselves into Canaan. They would have been there two or three weeks tops in their journey. But God chooses to take his people in a different pathway, in a different direction. Not only did they not go north towards their final destination, but they made their way south through the desert. It would kind of be like driving through Atlanta to get to Lexington, Kentucky. just wouldn't make sense. Why would you go that route? And remember, all God's people at this point were born and raised in Egypt. And so other than kind of their final destination, knowing that they were going to Canaan, they didn't know the pathway. And Moses, as their leader, was even unclear about how they would travel. And one of the reasons I think we're given this detail is because it reveals a lot about the very character of God. God intentionally did not take his people the shortest distance by design. God mercifully chose to take them down a different, much longer pathway that would lead them through the desert so that they would not have to fight in battle. See, God knows his people's needs. He knows their weaknesses, their vulnerabilities, and their fears. And so he knew that in the weary state that his people were in after 400 years being in slavery and working themselves to death, that if they came up on the powerful army of the Philistines, they wouldn't have thought twice. They would have turned and ran right back into the chains of Egypt. And so God spares his people by taking them a different route. See, God's path was very specific for his people. And his intention in taking them in the way that he did was to shape his people and to grow Israel's confidence in his power and in his provision for them. See, God was asking Israel to trust in his kind providence as he led them down this long path that would actually result in hemming them in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army of chariots. And we'll see that unfold and present its own challenges next week in chapter 14. But God knew that the quick, easy path for his people would ultimately end in destruction. And so he provided what they needed, a different path, a better path. And what we learn here is that the God who redeems is also the God who provides the best pathway forward for his children. See, in God's fatherly care of his children, he takes into account all of our weaknesses and all of our frailties and vulnerabilities. And God knows us so intimately that the pathway that he places for us 
is tailor-made for each of us. That's why for every believer, even though our final destination in the new heavens and the new earth is the same, yet the specifics of our journey are unique to us and God's providential pathway for His children. Well, maybe you're finding yourself in a season of life right now where you're facing some really difficult challenges. Maybe you're caring for aging parents and your love for them is unwavering. But quite frankly, you're exhausted and you're wearing thin because of the responsibilities and the challenges of meeting your mom or your dad's needs. Or maybe your children are really pushing hard against the boundaries at home and it's causing a lot of disruption in your home life. Or maybe your career path has taken a sudden detour that you were not anticipating, nor were you desiring. Or perhaps physically there seems to be a lot more wrong with you than what's right with your health. Or maybe the cumulative effect of feeling like you're being hit from all the different angles that you're being hit by has caused you to be on the verge of of breaking down and giving up hope. Well, see, in these times of uncertainty and frustration and even impatience with the path that God has led us down, we can be tempted to want God to kind of speed up the process to get through the set of circumstances that we're walking through on our journey at the moment. But like with Israel, it's God's good and kind providence to lead us down the path that we're walking. And if you feel like God is leading you down the path of this long pathway towards where he's calling you to go, don't begrudge this at all. Don't fight against it. Ask the Spirit to help you embrace this pathway that God has led you down. Because this detour could very well be God's kind providence and his protection over you in this moment. Have you ever thought that in God leading you down the path that he has, as hard as it may be for you, that maybe it's God's protection of you? Maybe had he allowed you to go down the path that you desire for your life, that it would have led you into danger and destruction. See, what we often perceive as God's neglect of us, or maybe his lack of concern in our lives, maybe it's God sparing us from much heartache and pain. See, God's leading us to teach us to rely upon him in every aspect and every circumstance of our lives. But the problem is, is we often like to believe that we know what's best at every moment in our lives and what we need. But as the Proverbs remind us in Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. So maybe, maybe you didn't get into that university or that college that you were hoping for because God is protecting you from yourself. Or just maybe God's brought challenges in your family life because he's wanting to deal with very underlying root issues so that if those are worked through, there's greater spiritual freedom and health for you and your family. Or maybe you didn't get the job or the promotion because it would have fed your idol of performance and God is protecting you from being undone. Or maybe God has you where you are if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're struggling with your sense of purpose. And God is clarifying with you, and you that you're fulfilling the exact purpose that he has for you, to invest in your family and minister to your family. 
Or maybe God hasn't changed your financial situation because he knows that it would lead you to complacency and comfort with greater resources in, in your disposal. And so he's calling you to rely simply upon him for every need you have. And so perhaps God's piled on more on your plate than you think you can handle to get your attention so that you'll unload those burdens upon him. Our loving Father is willing to take us down this long, slow path knowing that we may grumble and complain the entire way because he loves us that much. And so his kind providence, however it manifests itself in our lives, should result in reverential awe and a gratefulness for this path that he has us on. For we can know that it is the best path, no matter what we're experiencing in the moment or what's coming ahead, because of God's sure promises that he has made to us. If you look at verse 19, we had this rather strange detail uh, that Moses embeds in this section here. Uh, and it's about the remains of Joseph. And we're told that Moses says, uh, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Okay, so while the rest of Israel is gathering up their things and, and ransacking resources from Egypt and getting their clothes together and their toothbrush packed and they're about to head out, Moses is exhuming the body of Joseph. This would be a rather interesting and strange detail if we didn't remember what happened 400 years earlier when we go back to Genesis chapter 50. Because what Moses is doing is he's fulfilling a promise that was made centuries ago. A promise that was made to Jacob in Genesis 48 where God told him, you will be a, a great nation. I'm going to give you a land of everlasting possession. And so Joseph hears this from his father. And so he, 400 years earlier, says to God's people, okay, God is going to make good on this promise. And when he does, I don't know when that's going to be, but when he does, you better make sure that you take my bones with you to the new uh, land that we're heading towards. What we see here is it's not just a man who was desiring to be buried in a different place from where he was, uh, lived his life in Egypt. But this is a man who had deep faith in the promise of God that he would fulfill what he said he would do. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. This is a man who believed the covenant promise of God. Now, let's not forget Joseph's story. Remember, Joseph is kicked out by his brothers, despised by them, thrown into a pit. And then he gets out and he's sold into slavery. He's wrongfully accused, falsely imprisoned. And then, by God's kind providence, he's made second in command to Pharaoh. Thus becoming a savior for his people, the Hebrews, as they came under famine and lacked food and they came to him for resources. And throughout all the detours and obstacles of Joseph's life, he was able to say, what you intended for evil against me, what? God intended for good. Now put yourself in Israel's shoes. they have been his slave for 400 years, and now you're all of a sudden free, but you don't have a clue really where you're going other than your final destination. Can't you imagine maybe the doubts that would have stirred in your mind and your heart as you made your way on this journey? 
But God, knowing the proclivity of man to be forgetful, he provides a very physical and tangible reminder for God's people in the body of Joseph. Think about how comforting this must have been for God's people as they traveled. Not that they had a dead body with them, but what that dead body represented, those bones there, that God was going to make good on his promise. And so as they began their journey, if at any point they began to doubt, all they had to do was look up and see the box of bones. Yes, God is going to fulfill what he said he would do. God had made good on his promise to bring them out of Egypt, and it could provide them with confidence that no matter all the twists and the turns and peaks and valleys of their journey, that he was going to continue to carry them to the destination he had promised them. Paul read earlier from 1 Corinthians 10, and the Apostle Paul says there that this Exodus event that we're looking at uh, is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're told that the Exodus event happened for our benefit so that we might grow in the grace of Christ. See, Israel's journey in the wilderness is our own journey. The wilderness journey, with all its detours, is the pattern of the Christian life that you and I walk. As we await that day when Christ, our Savior, does return. If you remember, God made another promise back in Genesis 3.15. After man sinned and rebelled against God. And he said, I'm going to send a Savior from the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And like Israel, who had the bones of Joseph to remind them of God's faithfulness to his promises... Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of that great promise. And so the cross, the cross is our constant reminder that no matter our life's journey, that God is making good on his promises. No matter the dangers, the toils, and the snares that come, God will lead us safely home. So when you're sitting there looking at your circumstances, and you can't figure out how this in some way is going to lead to something good, look at the cross. Or when you're sitting there watching your child go through something that you think, I'm helpless to figure this out, I don't know how to help them, look at the cross. Be reminded of God's promises. And when you're weary from the journey, because you think, I can't make it anymore, I'm at wit's end, I have no strength left, look at the cross. Lastly, let's explore the persistent presence of God in the lives of his people. If you remember when Moses goes to Pharaoh for the last time and says, let God's people go, Pharaoh says, I've sinned against your God, go, get out of here. But you can't take your livestock with you. And Moses responds and says, we don't know where God's taking us, we don't know what he's going to ask of us, we have to take everything. Because until we get into the land, we don't know what God's going to require of us. So then we read in verse 21 and 22 that God went before Israel in a pillar of cloud to lead his people. And then he led them by night by a pillar of fire to give them light and protection. And we're told that this pillar of fire and pillar of night did not depart from before the people, Moses says. God was providing them exactly what they needed in his very presence to lead them along the journey. His guidance was undeniable, unmistakable. A visible cloud and fire. Again, imagine the comfort God's people must have felt on that first night as they find themselves out in the desert. Out in the darkness of night in a very unfamiliar place. 
Children, you might can relate is when you find yourself spending the night maybe at a, in a, a place that's not your home, that you're not used to, and it's kind of unfamiliar and maybe a little uh, fearful. Isn't it helpful to have a nightlight to kind of give you a little light to, to shine light onto things around your unfamiliar places and uh, circumstances? God's provided his people with the ultimate nightlight to provide them peace as they slept in the desert uh, night there. And then as they woke in the morning, God gave them the pillar of a cloud in order to lead them and shield them from the hot, dry sun as they traveled. God was with his people, literally, as they lived in the shadow of his presence. Now throughout the events of Exodus, fire and cloud, they accompany and they signify God's presence with his people. We saw this back in Exodus 3 in the burning bush. And then we'll see it in the giving of manna in Exodus 16, as well as God descending by fire on Sinai as he gives the law to his people in Exodus 19, and then the the glory cloud on the tabernacle in Exodus 40. So we see this throughout our journey through the book of Exodus. And what God is doing is he's helping his people see that they're to wait on his guiding hand to lead them every step of the way. He was the one who was going to determine their steps and how far they would travel. He was their persistent guard and guide, no matter what came in their path. Now, as you read and as we hear about God's, how blatant he was in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire to have his presence there, does it not make you think, man, how awesome would that be? To have this sure sense of God's confirmation in his presence through a cloud and fire. Honey, where do you think we ought to go to dinner tonight? Oh, there's a cloud over puckets. I guess we're going there. God, who am I supposed to marry? Oh, there's a fire over that girl. I guess I'm marrying her. And we can read that and we can kind of think and get, if we're not careful, we can fall into thinking, you know, if I just had a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, then everything would be okay. And I would know that God's leading me. And we can be tempted to think that we have it much harder and more difficult than the Israelites did in in consideration to their idea that God was present with them in their journey. But the reality is, is on this side of history, we have something much, much better than Israel ever had. Because they had a pillar of cloud and fire that was outside of themselves leading them in their journey. But you and I, if you are in Christ this morning, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, guiding you. The Spirit does this work of illumination so that He helps us to see and understand and grasp the very character of God and how we can rely upon His promises. And God's persistent presence with us is no less spectacular in the pillar of cloud and fire, or even the tongues of fire in the New Testament of Acts over the disciples. It's actually much more spectacular because what Israel had was a dim shadow of what we get to experience in Christ. Jesus says this as much in John 16. He says, it's to my, it's your advantage that I go away because if I do not go away, then the helper, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come. God is giving us himself to dwell inside our hearts so that his presence is continually with us each and every step we walk. The Spirit's been given to strengthen us, to guide us, and to offer us peace no matter the circumstances. Okay, now we hear that, and many of us intellectually and theologically, we go, yes, I know that is true. God is with me every step of the way. His presence never leaves me. But practically... Many of us live our lives in a sense the way that God is nowhere to be found in our daily circumstances. 
And many of us are looking at the hand that God has dealt us, and we want Him to come and answer questions as to why He's dealt us the detours in our lives that He has. Why does something major need fixing in the house or we have a major medical bill? Every time I begin to start chipping away at debt or actually saving money. You know, God, why are you allowing my child to suffer with pain of loneliness, anxiety, depression? God, why are you continuing to allow my marriage relationship continue to grow colder and more distant without change? God, why does it seem you're piling on more instead of making life easier? And we look at these things and we want answers to them because we think that if, with all the unexpected and the unexplained, if we can just somehow make it fit into our logical framework, then we'll be okay and be able to cope with the circumstances. And so we think if we just had answers to these questions, we can manage life a lot better. Well, the reality is, is God has provided us with answers in His Word. And in his word, he's calling us to align ourselves with his purposes for our lives, not our own human wisdom or our own desires. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The pathway that God has you on this morning, no matter how it's wrought with hardships and struggles and detours, it may be counterintuitive to the way you want to walk. But you can trust his wisdom and his guidance because he's made good on his promises. His track record is good. Because see, many times our attempts to kind of figure life out and make sense of the details is maybe not what's best for us. See, if we attach our comfort and our assurance and our peace to a clear-cut explanation to why this is happening to me or why that's happening to my family member or my friend, we may never find comfort and peace. Stop judging your circumstances by your best guesses of why you're having to deal with this or they're dealing with that. The only way we'll have lasting comfort and peace is if we rest in the sure promises of God, the good God who is orchestrating everything in our lives for our benefit. The reason why God's brought you and me down the path he has, the long, slow path, is because he knows full well what we need to be sanctified. He knows what we need to grow in holiness. And in His grace, He often protects us from things that may not undo others, but would completely destroy us. And so it's futile to compare our journey with someone else's journey. Just like God knew that Israel, He wouldn't lead them down the pathway to the Philistines because they would turn and run. And so God in His kindness has chosen for us what may be the longer pathway to our final destination, our true home. Perseverance in the Christian life is a sign of genuine faith in Christ. Peter tells us that we're tested with various trials in our lives for the purpose of showing forth our true faith in the person of Christ. And as we persevere by faith down the path of life, what it does is it evidences the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. As Romans 8 tells us, And therefore, our response to God's persistent presence in our lives is that we're to have a persevering faith that is patient through the ups and the downs and peaks and valleys of our life. Because we know where this pathway leads. We know the end result. 
And 1 Peter 1 goes on, he says, Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We may never figure out all the reasons why we go through what we do. But we can know and we can trust him. We can love him because we know the sure outcome. All that happened to the Israelites and their pilgrimage, it was written down for us so that we might learn from it. We might see it as instruction and see where they failed and they put their faith and their hope in other idols and they turned their backs against God. We can learn from that in our own journey moving forward. Do you believe this morning that God's guidance of you is comprehensive and it covers every aspect and moment of your life? Are you willing to entrust every step of your journey to the faithful and loving Father? who is doing everything for your good and his glory. Brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. And no matter contrary to the way you feel each morning when you wake up, you're not alone in your journey. The Spirit is walking step by step with you. When it seems like you've lost your way, you don't have a clue where you're going, he will guide you down the right path and into the loving arms of your faithful and loving Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this meal that we're about to partake of. And this meal is a meal to remember, for one thing, what Christ has done for us. And if your faith is not in Christ this morning, you may find that your life is quite manageable right now. But let me assure you that the pathway that you are on is a pathway that leads to destruction and ultimately death and separation from the God who created you. But if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, and you find yourself weary from the journey, come, come be fed on this meal and have your soul strengthened with the persevering power of your Savior so that you may make another step this day and for tomorrow and find that he will meet you here and make good on his promise to feed you upon his body and blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at the journey behind us and the journey that lies ahead, it is easy to want to wave the white flag and say that we give up. As we look at the circumstances, we can't see from our human perspective how and why we're having to go through many of the things that we're walking through. And Lord, it is our flesh to want to have this discomfort alleviated immediately. But Lord, thank you that you're enough of a loving Father to disrupt and to bring discomfort because you do it not just for a purposeless intent, but you do it for great good in our lives so that we might see you to be the God who will provide us with your persevering power to continue the journey and that we might find strength not in our own power, but in your strength. So would you help us to be a people who would humble ourselves, admit our weakness, and find hope and power in the one who has already gone before us on the journey, who has paved the pathway forward, so that we might find ourselves safely home when you do return and you consummate all things. Lord, we thank you again for your patience with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.